0: Foster, foster care, care nation, nation. Listen, up. listen up this is
1: foster care and i'm
0: strength for the powerless courage for the fearful hope and healing for wounded hearts Hello, welcome back to Foster Care, and unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Today's special guest is Tamara Sip. How are you doing, Tamara? Very good. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. All right. I think I already messed up. I started out calling you Tamara instead of Tammy, and you already told me to call you Tammy. I'm not very smart today. <laughs>
1: i i understand like once you start recording things kind of pop up i get it i get it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's been a long week leading up to here so we're we're just we're just fighting our way through right
1: that's all right right.
0: so how have you been
1: i am great how about you
0: oh man we're doing pretty good we're doing pretty good we've had a long week I've had a lot of work of the stuff that that really actually earns money where I got to go do that stuff kids have been crazy this week but man we're making it through we're making it through and we had an opportunity to catch up with you and hear your story today and as everybody knows we talk about foster care and adoption here that's a lot of what we talk about almost exclusively actually and you have a story to tell can you tell us how you're involved in it
1: yeah um So years ago, I I was raising my children and um, my children ended up in foster care. And so I had an entirely different experience. And and I will also say that um, later on through the years, um, I became a foster care parent as well. I never took on any children, but I became a foster care parent. But my story really goes back to when my children were uh, taken from me. And so at this particular time, I was a single mom and I was working, um, in the hospital. I did 12 hour shifts while I was doing the 12 hour shifts. Um, I had three, uh, children that were, um, as kids would do, they would get up, go out and hang out. Uh, I had a sister that lived like a couple of doors down from me. And so they ended up, uh, taking off and going to a park at this particular park they end up um the baby at that time end up getting lost the police were involved social stor- social services as a matter of fact became involved and uh, it became my life ended up turning upside down basically from this and so at that time um, i will say that i had an ex at that time that his particular partner was um, also a supervisor within social services. And um, it just, it was a really, really, it was a nightmare of a story. Um, With my kids at that time, um, they found out that, let's just say that they came to a determining fact with me being nervous and just being crazy, i would never been in any type of trouble whatsoever. But at that time, um, you know, when I was dealing with all of this in governmental agencies, um, what happened was that when I started dealing with different agency departments, so from the police department to um, the DA, to uh, social services, each department had their own um, their own route that they took with the information that was given to them, so until they find out that there isn't any story or if there is one you your life is just not your own. so I had all of these hoops that I had to jump through in order to get my kids back. They ended up in foster care and they ended up in foster care for about seven months. It was less than a year and I will tell you that it was, it was horrible. Like for me as a mom, your, your, your rights are gone. Um, You don't get to function. And I had to deal with foster care parents. So once I was dealing with them, I had the side, I had parents that uh, unfortunately were not as, as I felt, were not as uh, supportive with me being the parent on my side. And I get it because the kids are involved and they're the the, the main function so at that time what they did was um when I would go to see my kids um it was more of um I felt like I was the enemy I felt like I didn't have uh a leg to stand on and I felt like they wanted to keep them and not give them back but then there was so much going on with me and I had to do conjoint um counseling services. I had to do um, uh, uh, also counseling, you know, by myself and um, just to get me together. Um, And uh, it was just, it was quite a bit. It was quite a bit, Jason. Yeah.
0: It sounds like it. It sounds like it. And I know as a foster parent, you know, one of the things that we've seen and we've had to learn to deal with ourselves is it's really easy to look at a bio parent and be like, how can you do this to your kids right because as foster parents some of the things we see like like i got a little dude he's 7 years old now and um when when he was sent for a drug test at one he came back positive for weed coke heroin meth oxies like that was a list of drugs in his hair follicle sample which means he had to be exposed to some of those multiple times to be able to show up in a hair follicle so we we see these things and we're like you know you kind of get Jaded might be the wrong word, but it might be the right one too. You know, you, you, you get this, this doubt in your soul. Like how can somebody do this to a kid? And after you've seen enough kids, you it's sometimes it's, it's really easy to, to be judgmental and, and lose, lose the heart out of the, your journey for the parent as well to try and help that bio parent reunify with the kids.
1: Right. And so that was the biggest thing is that even when I was dealing with the court systems and mediation, um, the whole premise of that is reunification, family reunification. I didn't feel that way. I, My situation was really unique as in me being a mom and I fell into the, the parameters I fell into was, okay, I worked too many hours and they, lag, they locked in the hours that it would take for me to and from work to get to home. So you figure I worked a 12 hour shift. I worked Maybe it took me 30 minutes with no traffic, but it may, took a, may have taken a little bit longer. So you figure that they factor in, if, if I worked 14 hours out of the day, that falls into neglect. You don't hear that story. This happened to someone else that I know of too, where in another state, she's doing really, really well, but her husband was able to get uh, custody of her kids because of that. They, the judge found that she was a working parent. She was also going to school for nursing. And then they found out that, hey, you have too many hours that you are away from the kid to actually be a viable parent. And so she fell into the, to the, you know, into that category of neglect. And that's where I fell into was I fell into the category of neglect due to how many hours I worked and plus of the incident of the baby being lost at that time and with me and the hours of sleep and it was just it was just a crazy, crazy time. But I, I want to say that and and so the situation too was I was not on drugs. So that was not my story. I was not on drugs. Not to take away from anyone who is or who is suffering from that because a lot of people are suffering from that. But that was not my story. So I was not on drugs. I was not, you know, there was there was nothing that was just me and my kids. And that's all I wanted, all I had at that particular time. So I just think that um, if in fact, the way the system is set up, if it could, you know, there are certain parents that have unique stories that like me, you know, um, I was also put into a situation where, the ex wanted to be with me and I didn't want to be with him. So what he did was he kept calling the system and he kept saying that he, that there was different things going on and there wasn't, but at the time, because a a case was already open. So what happens is, yeah, they would have to act on it because the premise of now it's just cause. And so you know, he would say that, oh, they weren't there or, you know, he felt they were left or they're somewhere. And I mean, we had the police showing up at my mom's house at different places. Yes. And it was it was horrible. I'm saying that the system needs an overhaul, literally, to look into that, because not necessarily everyone's story fits. It's not like one size fits all.
0: Absolutely. You know, I to be to be 100 percent transparent here we've had uh children's division called on us in the past actually before we were ever even foster parents wow that was a situation where a family member had gotten mad at my wife and because she wouldn't take our son to the hospital because he had a fever and he had he was a kid he had a fever he was controlled with tylenol and and you know all the all the normal parent stuff right but she thought he should have gone she got mad because um because my wife didn't take him to the hospital And the police and children's division show up at our house at like 11 o'clock at night because of medical neglect. And you look at it and you go, wait a dang second here. Mm -hmm. uh, How does this happen? And and it didn't take long for us to put, you know, draw, you know, pull the pieces together. There was only one person in the world besides my wife, me and my kids in the house who knew the boy had a fever that day.
1: Right. So we
0: knew where the call came from. I'm like, hang on a second, you know, let's figure this out. And we ended up having to deal with them. Now, fortunately, That was a handful of phone calls and they, they showed up at 11 o'clock at night. Of course, we had to get the kids out of bed so they could see him and talk to him and all that. And it ended up coming back as an unfounded report. But you know that that's the sort of thing that can cause problems when somebody just reports you because they're angry at you.
1: Right, right.
0: And, And that sounds like you had a lot of that with with your ex. A I thought of
1: that. And then I was struggling because I was a single mom with three kids. And so I didn't make enough money at that particular time. You know, you fall like way below the poverty line. So I was living in a single with three kids. So that was the bigger that was another part of the issue is that they um, as far as in social services, didn't feel that I had adequate space, you know, because it's. If you're living in an apartment and you have three kids, you are supposed to have at least two bedrooms, at least. So it's two per room. So if you're looking at how property management, how real estate, how that's broken up and the laws with federal, um, with fair housing, how it's supposed to be set up. So that is another reason why they took them out of the home too, because they didn't feel I had adequate space. I was living in a single, you know? and so and the ages of my kids at that particular time were um, two were middle school and then one was um maybe about um uh 16 months 12 uh, 18 months because she was walking at that maybe closer to two years old but um yeah that's another issue is yeah they're, they're they're clothed they're fed they go to school they're doing what they need to do but if in fact you know, poverty is, is, is a major crime because for me, it was like we were managing, but it wasn't sufficient for the system. Once the system got a hold of, you know, the situation, it was, everything was exacerbated. So no, yeah, you work, but you work where it's child endangerment. You, you know what I mean? I worked where um, I, I made more money working at night than I would have during the day because it was in the hospital and I made more if I passed like a 12-hour shift, you know, uh, working eight hours and then getting into the 12 hours, I made way more money so that I could sustain the household. And um, yeah, I had to shift gears where I had to try to find something else or work less hours. And then I was already fighting, you know, an uphill battle with not having the money. So yeah, that wasn't good at either. That was also another big, um, uphill battle.
0: Yeah. I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what the state laws were, where you were at when this was all going on, but I know that here in Missouri, you know, part of, part of children's, children's division is what we call it here. A lot of places call it different things, stylus, CPS, whatever. But part of that is, um, is, well, they're part of the, the division of support services. If I think, if I remember the acronyms, right. Um, and so what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to be able to provide services to help you get on your feet. And it sounds like that problem really had a lot to do with being a single mom, trying to support your kids. And I mean, if that's the, if that's a crime, that's a tough one, right? Because you're trying to do the right thing, but it's a challenge for sure. And I know a lot of parents fight that. Right. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nation. Now back to the show. So i I
1: had... Said- you know, and, and I, not to cut you off, but I even, when I met with the DA, because mine went all the way to the DA, they were trying to push charges against me, which was social services. And when I met with the DA, the DA was also, she had in, in her prior uh, experience in uh, jobs that she um, had, one of them was as a social worker. She was a social worker, but she was also a foster parent. So she knew every single side. When I sat with her, she said, you know what? I'm going to take this particular case off calendar. She says, social workers have too much power. She said, this is a situation where I do not see that it shouldn't have even come across my desk. She says, unfortunately for you, she says, what we're going to do is we'll have you take some classes, you know, and, and just go, be attentive, do what, do what they say that you have to do. And um, I will go ahead and re- and remove this so that, we don't have to go any further. And literally, I did exactly what needed to be done and it was removed. Um, when I met her, I, and I went through all of that, I, and I did um, end up getting my kids back. I did everything that they told me to do. Um, I went back to school and I actually got my undergrad in two years. So I ended up receiving a bachelor's. And from that, I started um, teaching parenting classes and I started teaching parenting classes because of what I went through so that if I can assist other parents in any form in any way so that that doesn't happen to them um that's really my what was like my prime focus and my motivation I actually teach it until now but yeah
0: well part of our mission here that that we've really been focusing on for a long time is is just providing strength to the weakest among us. In a lot of ways, some of those, I mean, it started, you know, the weakest among us. That's the little ones, right? Right. But also in that category, a lot of times are the bio family because some of them are horrible people. We have seen some abuse situations that, my goodness, make you wonder how that happens. And, you know, you, you maybe even have horrible, horrible thoughts in your head about these people because of the right. things that they do. But... There's also a lot of places where as foster parents, we can really reach out and support a biological parent who's going through something that can get the kid back in the household right? because we've seen it. We know firsthand the best place for a kid is with a biological mom and dad. If that's at all possible, that's a best place for a kid. And as foster parents, like I mentioned earlier where it's really easy to get judgmental and forget that part of our job is to help support those parents in the in the journey of getting their kids back and living a more successful life. And that's that's part of the reason I I love to talk to people like you who've who've walked that journey, who've been through something tough and did the work and got your kids back and turned your life around. It sounds like quite a bit too because um uh it's it's not common to see. Right? How many how many how many kids have we seen where the parents got their stuff together?
1: I mean it it's been a few. I'd like to see more though.
0: Yeah, I I can think of four four kids maybe. And we've had about 20. So that that's not very good not very high percentages, but where can we support those people in getting their kids back and getting their life back on track to a place where where the state feels that it's safe to put kids back in that home.
1: You know, that's a hard one because um I've seen situations where Maybe you have someone who is dealing with substance abuse, but they do need different types of support. So it depends upon, you know, where you fall in, 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 the, in the entirety of this whole thing. Where do you fall? The biggest deal here is once you're in the system and all of this is happening to you, it's hard not to crack. It's hard not to fall into a state of depression. It's hard. I mean, I can't tell you how many days that I felt like I was losing it. My kids were gone. It was, you couldn't have told me anything. I was like a walking zombie, literally, literally. And I have faith. Um, I can't tell you every day that I felt like praying. I can't tell you every day that I felt like my faith was working because it wasn't not for me. So it ended up turning around. I still have faith, but I'm telling you, when you're walking things like that through, you don't feel that way. So, um, and I didn't have a great support system around me at that time either. I didn't have that. I had family members that turned against me because they felt like, yeah, well, you must have done something. You must have, and you must have. Until one particular family member said, no, listen, this it's not you. And it's not even what everyone else is saying. You deserve your kids. I'm seeing that literally you love them. You deserve them. This is a situation that was unfortunate. But while you're going through it and the the, the deck is stacked against you, literally, you just feel like your life is crumbling at the seams. So I don't know about like the, when you say like um, for parents that, you know, can get their things together, you know, get their stuff together. I'm saying some if you were already struggling before, you know what I mean? This does not make it any better. It it makes it worse. It actually, you know what I mean? It actually, if you were, I'm saying um, on substance abuse, or if you were hooked to something, yeah, it, it would make you do other things. I'm pretty sure of it. I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah. You know, we, if you go back to some of our earlier episodes, um, hope for amy i think was a three-part series we put together with a lady named amy and you know she wasn't just an addiction she was she was dealing pretty heavy um when the cops kicked her front door in, they found a flea i think about ten thousand dollars worth of meth in her coat pocket and yeah she was like a full-blown dealer and that was her rock bottom where she said okay i have to turn some stuff around i have to do something different and she did the hard work. And I know she said going through, the, through the, the situation, she really felt like children's division was all against her. But after the fact, mm-hmm. after the fact she learned that, that they, were, they were pushing her and, and getting her on the right path. And she was, actually ended up becoming very friendly with a lot of the children's division workers to the point where when new foster parents come in, she actually was at one of the same trainings we were at um, where we were talking to new fo- incoming foster parents. And she mm-hmm. kind of told her story. And she she gave some some real hard details to give, but more or less to sh- to show her w- what her side of the world looked like. Right. So, you know, for I know and I know for Amy, you know, it was that moment to finally realize and there was some things that she had done that, that put her kids in danger and finally making that decision to change her life. That was that was her her turning point. Where was your turning point through all of it where where you, you were able to, instead of focus on the fact that these people are are trying to take something from you, but instead to turn and go, no, no way. I'm just going to get my kids back. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to do everything I have to do, you know, and, and make my way through this battle.
1: Um, that happened day one. So, so day from the time that it happened, even although I was feeling crushed and everything, that's another thing is that when, um, when i decided in my mind i was like okay this is this is what's happening right now in my mind i started thinking all right i'm going to do everything they say because my kids are coming home tomorrow from day 1 and what happened was it wasn't tomorrow but that didn't stop me you know it didn't stop me so every time i went to court okay they're coming home that's that was my perception i always Anyone I talked to in the government, whether it was social service, whether it was the DA, whether it was um, the mediators, whoever it was, in my mind, they were coming home that day. And that's what kept me going. It went on for, like I said, about seven months. But every day for me was they're coming home. And literally, that was my focus. That was my focus. Everything that I did, and I went a step up above. What happens is that um, I literally started getting smarter than the mediator who was working with me. I started getting smarter than the social worker. So I started doing my own research. I started digging. So anything that they asked me for, I had it ahead of time. I had it ahead of time. I just, I did my own homework. And um, literally by the time I went to court, uh, the judge was like, she said, no, give, give her, return her kids. And so it was unheard of for me to even receive my kids in the amount, in the time that I received them back That was unheard of. It was unprecedented. It doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. I was thinking seven months on pretty quick.
1: Yeah, Right. Right. It doesn't happen. And that's because I made up my mind. I said, Oh no. Oh no. They're coming home today from the day that I started. They're coming home today. They're coming home today. Yeah. And so it was, like I said, it wasn't easy. It was an uphill battle. And I said, my situation was unique because there wasn't anything else. There wasn't substance abuse. There wasn't domestic violence in the home. There wasn't. There wasn't all of that. It was literally that one incident that happened, and it just blew up out of proportion. It went into something else. So,
0: well, I have to ask because you know you you talked about your kids getting out, and then your your youngest getting lost at the park, and right. I mean that's traumatic for for anybody. And then to have social services step in and take your kids away and you have to fight that way. How did that affect your mental health through all that time?
1: Yeah, it was horrible. And um, I'm going to be graphic. Um, I had a cycle that was insane. The very night that it happened, um, I was, I had a cycle that went on for like maybe 20 days. Wow. That I was just, yeah, I, I remembered, um, and it's funny, I was talking to my oldest daughter about this last night. And I said, when, when that happened, I remembered um, sitting on a day bed in the single that we had. And it was an old historic type place, red brick building. And I was looking out the window and I just felt lost. I just felt like, I, I couldn't even tell you what I felt because it was numb. It was numb. People were uh, talking, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the conversations that they had, no remembrance, no memory, time was just like a a whirlwind, it just, everything was, was just out, you know, out of proportion for me, Um, when I would get, my, my life was, I was waiting on a call for someone to tell me that my kids were coming home, so if they told me that you need to go here, you need to do this, you need, I was, I just, that's what I lived for. I was waiting on a phone call to tell me what I had to do to get my kids back. And that's how I lived. So well, then I, I was like devoid of how I felt literally.
0: Well, it sounds like, you know, that's a great place for your mental health to spiral pretty quick. If you're not really careful, what'd you do to protect your own mental health and ways you walk through that? Cause I mean it's it's not hard to spiral into a real deep depression when you lose your kids and right. and have all kinds of other things pop up. Um what were you doing for yourself for that?
1: Um I can tell you it was a, again my faith. It was a lot of prayer and like I said some days my faith was great and some days it really wasn't. Some days it was working some days it wasn't. And it was a up and up and you know downhill battle. Um but I fought through it. I can tell you that. And I will tell you too that um like I said, I had social services. It's like they lived with me. So I didn't even lock my door. I just, I had the door where they needed to come in. I didn't care because I'm in my head. Like I said, my kids were coming home. I was just looking for that. That's what I lived for. And literally now that I'm talking about it, that's what brought me through was seeing them, knowing that they were, they were out there and I'm going to get them. I I lived for my kids, I lived and breathed. That's that's all I did. Oh my God. Yeah, that's all I did.
0: Well, that's a goal that'll bring you through a lot.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Now I've gotta ask, because I know that as many foster parents are out there, as many foster families out there, we still don't have enough. You know, there's roughly a half a million kids in the US in foster care today. Yeah. and some of them for real good reasons some of yeah. them probably not for as good of reasons for sure right. but every one of those has a parent who's who's on the other end of that yeah. so if you're if you had the opportunity to talk right to them I mean what would you what kind of encouragement would you give them in order to find a way to get their kids back get their life back together and be able to be that family unit that they want to really be so much
1: I would say you know just um you know, our kids don't stop being our kids just because they're not with us. That's that's the main thing, you know? And so I know that there are a lot of people who haven't had their kids in a very long time. And so it can get to a place where that abandonment, that rejection, because, you know, you get into a, a tip too, also, where you can go and see the kid and, and the foster parent is giving your kid what you can. I've seen that, you know, and um, it's hard. It's hard. But I'm saying that if you stick in there, if you stay to it and be true to yourself, be true of and be honest of what you are capable of doing and know that you're doing the best, even for the foster parents, because that's hard, like on their side of what they have to deal with i i can tell you what i went through because i was in that particular circumstance and it wasn't the best it wasn't the greatest and i can't tell you that the foster parents were the best at that time for me either but i was in a really dark space you know um
0: Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com groups slash UJ. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show.
1: And you're looking at a situation where both sides of the family, so you have the foster parent, you have the bio uh, family, you have the children, everyone needs healing. If we can look at it at that situation of what is best for the kids and then keep going, you know, keep, if you have a really good friend that's around you, that's supportive and that's positive. That's a good place to start. If you have a faith, some type of anchor. I always talk to people, telling them if you have an anchor. And I don't know, you know, what your anchor is for you. But whatever your anchor is, whatever it is that you pull on at four in the morning, that's what you need to pull you through a situation when your kids are not in the home, and even for the foster parent because they're dealing with with parents who are very emotional. It's it's a, it's a highly stressful situation. So. I mean, there are resources out there. Just try to, you know, access the resources that are there.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you mentioned, you know, that that your kids are pulled away from you and, and the effects that has on you, God knows that has to have some pretty strong effects on your kids as well. I mean, seven months I, I was just having this conversation with, with my little one today and he's 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 been hoping that tomorrow's his birthday for Very a while now and he's still got uh, 60 almost 60 days yeah 60 we're down to 60 days
1: <laughs> and every morning I, it's my birthday uh, oh
0: so so when i explained to him it's 60 days and i counted to 60 for him and you could just see him like his shoulders drop and his head drops and he got kind of, like wilts he's like that's a long time you know but when you're younger i mean seven months that's a long time to that's again.
1: a lifetime yes
0: yeah so so I know that there has to be some after effects that the kids experience from that. What did you see in your children after it was all said and done?
1: I saw that I was battling, um, trying to live up to being the best parent for them. Um, again, like I said, they had foster parents that had way more than I, than I had. And so then I had to get to a place especially through counseling. So I had, I had individual counseling. And the individual counseling, she had to let me know that I was enough. No, you are, you are enough. You are enough. You need to know that. Your kids love you for who you are. And so when we did conjoint counseling and they brought us all in together, it was to reunify the family and I remember sitting there and the counselor would step in and say, no, this is, this is your mom. This is your mom, we're gonna respect the situation here. And I mean, that had to happen because again, the foster parents that they were going to started to tell my kids and they, I had older ones that were in middle school. So when, you, when they're teenagers, what drives them? money. So the foster parents started telling my older kids that it, as long as they would stay with her, the, foster, the money that she was getting, she was giving it to them. So they felt they were receiving a paycheck. Yeah, that's what happened to me. It was not good. And so in order to secure the money she had coming in, she was driving a wedge between me and my kids' father. Yeah, it was not good. So I, I kept going over, though. I kept coming over, you know, when it was time for me to go and, and show up, you know, my a lot of time, my hours that I had, I definitely went and I saw them and I loved them as much as I, I could and, and did as much and it ended up working in my favor. But how many, how many families, how many kids that that didn't, you know, I, I don't know. I just remember that foster parent doing that she did she offered
0: them the check that sounds more than a little bit inappropriate
1: a little bit yeah
0: because as we all know teenagers are driven by god only knows what money is a part of it i'm sure part of it's their own insanity
1: right (laughs) middle
0: schoolers are, are are full of their own challenges usually and i mean in a situation like that where they're in the middle of what i mean we'll just call it what it is it's it's a traumatic situation for any kid and a middle schooler who's probably coming into that whole preteen, teen, pubescent time frame where the hormones go crazy, and subsequently they lose their own dang minds. Um,
1: right.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not not well, pointing these fingers at my kids, but no, 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 they do. Maybe. I don't
1: know any that don't, but they do.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. You just
1: claimed them. You said <laughs> all yours. I see,
0: she's trying to give away the teens to me.
1: Already. Done. Well,
0: It sounds like there was a lot of comparison going on between you and and the foster parents. Did you suffer from any of that in your own mindset as, as you dealt with it, were you trying to trying to battle with that whole comparison game as well?
1: I did. I did. I, I, like I I said that I, I didn't feel that I was enough. I didn't feel, you know, uh, she owned, you got to figure, I was living in a single, she owned her own home, you know, she, was established and had been for like 20 something years. And so, you know, I felt like I had to compete with that. Like my kids wouldn't look. I did. I felt that way. It's a horrible place for a mom to feel. It, it's a horrible place. So on one, on one essence, I'm going to the parenting classes. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm doing the uh, counseling and conjoint uh, counseling. I'm doing everything. And they're saying the opposite of what's actually happening. What's happening is not what you're telling me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We've seen our fair share of of kids being convinced of things that are not necessarily true.
1: Right. Yeah. Right.
0: I'm tempted to give some examples here, but that might point out. Point fingers to too many people who might hear this, but yeah, exactly. That, that happens a lot, you know? <laughs> right? Right.
1: do do that. I right, right, right. Right. Right.
0: But yeah, people people start to really really feel that, and and suddenly it it becomes a battle or a war, and it sounds like that using money as a wedge to keep you guys yes. pushed apart is. I mean, yes. as a tactician, I'll say it was probably a brilliant move. As an ethical person, I'm going to say it was probably horribly unethical and immoral and right my god did, did you ever have an opportunity to speak with children's division about that were they were they willing to hear it or do anything
1: so here's the thing so it was so many moving parts so i had her and then i had um, my ex who was still reporting saying that i was doing stuff i wasn't doing so at one point he says that i was on drugs and so then they had they had me go to um get the report to do urine tests mm-hmm. call this random number and you don't know so in the middle of me working i had to call a random number uh, where i had to go and urinate and, and pa- i had to do that i did that for oh my god i can't tell you how long because it starts from like a sunday and they'll give you the your last name your initial or whatever and you got to go do this and i'm working 12 hour shifts i'm doing all of the other mandated stuff and then i got to go do that and if you miss that then it means that you're positive, even although you're not positive. And that craziness. So while she was doing that, again, my focus was my kids are coming home. I really just, I just went into another gear. I just shifted into another gear where it was, no, my kids are going to be coming home. They're coming home, literally. I just shifted. I got mad in a positive way. I got angry at the situation. I get angry at the system. So I didn't really look at her like as my focus or even the, you know what I mean? I just got mad at the system. I said, you know what? Things are going to change. My kids are coming home, literally. I didn't focus on what was happening around me because it was too much. It was too much. After a while, and I was, like I said, my cycle was like a cycle from hell. It was just it wouldn't go away. And I really just had to like shake myself and say, no, 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 they're, they're coming home. You're going to do this. Literally, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to, you know, you're focusing, you're getting them back, you're going to do this, you're going to get through this, literally.
0: Now, you mentioned that your, your ex was, um, had the children's division supervisor as his partner at the time.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: I'm no lawyer. (laughs) Granted, I'll tell you, I'm a genius all the time, but (laughs) I'm pretty sure that sounds a bit like a, a conflict of interest and maybe a change of jurisdiction would be needed there.
1: Yes, that I didn't, I didn't realize the magnitude. Sometimes you know that you're disliked, but you don't understand the magnitude of how much you are. And that's the reason why the case ended up being the way that it was. Is because there was an inside man, literally, that dragged that out.
0: That's crazy that that was even allowed to happen. Did that come out in court that that was happening?
1: No, again, again, it was it was so. I was pivoting, you know. I I had blows from every side every day, and I did not have the opportunity to sit down and focus on one particular situation or one thing and say, okay, you know what? Now I'm going to deal with you. Like I said, my focus was the kids and getting them home. Whatever the courts needed me to do, whatever social, you know what I mean. And I just did whatever they needed to do, and I couldn't, I. It's like, I couldn't take my eyes off the price of getting my kids for one second, because for me, that was my motivator, my biggest motivator. And that's what kept my sanity. And if I had taken it to look at, okay, this, this social worker is doing this. uh, This person is, is reporting, what they shouldn't be reporting. And they're in a conflict of interest position. You know, if, if I had, and I didn't even know at that time, how about that? I didn't even know at the time that that person was the supervisor. And yes, I didn't know. I didn't find that out until years later. Oh, wow. Years later, where the kids are grown, I found out that that person, that was that person's position. And I went, oh, wow. Really? Yeah.
0: Well, I have to ask, because it sounds like you've been through some pretty hellacious battles there. Pretty much. And it sounds like you had your head on pretty straight through all that, and you just kept having challenges jump up and knocking them down, that, man, you had some strength instilled in you somewhere. Where did you learn to to have that kind of strength, that kind of drive, that kind of faith to just push forward and keep going? Did you have somebody teach you that in your life somewhere, or was that like one of those hard-fought battles you learned in a moment?
1: Um, I would say my mom and not would, I have to say my mom. So my mom is an immigrant that came here and uh, fought many battles just to get here. And literally um, had five kids and just and supported all of us and worked her butt off. And um, I'd have that drive and that stick-to-itiveness comes from her. And uh, we were in a house where She was a single mom and my mom, I remember her working three jobs. She did what needed to be done, homeowner, all of that. She traveled, she's done quite, quite a bit. And no matter what, she made it happen. And we weren't on welfare. We weren't in subsidized housing, not knocking anyone that has had that, has, has to have that or has had it, or that's your lifestyle. Not knocking that, just saying what happened to me. And so literally, yeah, she made it happen.
0: Well, I have one piece of good news for you. It sounds like your kids have a great example of that strength to draw on in their own battles later on in life. Because they've seen that come through you. they're going to be able to draw back on the experiences that you've been through to see that. And I can only imagine how many generations that will change.
1: That would be a blessing. That would be awesome. And I think that's what we live for as adults and as parents. I think that that's our biggest thing is legacy. What are we leaving? What's the imprint? What's the blueprint? What are we doing so that we change whatever's happened in the past or whatever we're, we're dealing with? What, what do we do that we're making a difference? I, I believe that's the way that we all should be living our lives. I appreciate that. I appreciate that the sentiment is the same to you. And Amanda, I this platform is needed. It's needed. It's needed to, we should have more conversations like this where people are at least the awareness of people's plight, you know, it's, we all have different things that we go through. We all have different things and, and it's needed to be said. Um, how, how did you overcome that situation? How did you make it out? And if this can help anyone, I would, I'm very excited if it can you know?
0: And the fact that you're teaching parenting classes now speaks volumes to where you came from and where, what you've been through and who you are as a human because not only does that does that experience going to translate into your kids but you're you're able to handle a lot of that a lot of those victories you had over to the next generation of parents who may be struggling in their own place and changing the world because i mean i'm I'm a firm believer that we all walk through dark places in our lives right and the meaning that we can draw out of that is sometimes, sometimes it's a little bittiest, the smallest little dot of light in a super dark room. Mm. But if we keep drawing on on that light, we can make that our focus and change the world with that little speck of light in our life. And it sounds like that's what you're really doing. You're you're taking that that thing that maybe was a real hard hard piece of hope to hold on to, and you grew that into a whole different world. And now you're helping train the next generation of people. And that's what I think we need more than anything is parents who know that they can, because that's one of the biggest problems I think we see in foster parents and by a lot are not foster and foster care. And uh, with biological parents is that a lot of times they just, they just think they can't.
1: It's very much a sense of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, before, prior to um, doing this today and I'm really grateful. Thank you for having me on again. Um, I was watching a sermon and I also have a journal that I actually am writing in. And it says that, don't look back. It's a journal. It's, it's what, at the 99 cent store, anybody can pick up one. I just happen to have that one. And the sermon was talking about that today about our focus. And just, if you know, regardless if you know or not, like when you're dealing with a situation, we can't have too many distractions. We can't, like for one moment, like some things, he was talking about a song and the song brought up a memory and that memory of what that situation was. I'm not gonna go into that. I'm not gonna even talk about that, but I knew I had to change the station based on where it was taking him. And so I said, you know what? It's funny because I've I've had this book now for over a year. And I write all types of nonsensical things in there. And literally while you're going through anything, the one thing you can't do at that particular time, whether it's the hour before, the day before, the week before, three months before, don't don't look back. Just keep, your focus should be forward. What are you going to do from this moment on? What You can only be responsible for the time moving forward. Yeah, we can go ahead and not make the same mistake, but you want to keep your focus forward. Yeah.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned that journal. I'm probably going to make a whole bunch of noise here. But if I dig in this drawer here on the side of my desk, and I don't know if it's going to come out now, I shoved too much stuff in there. There's mine. It's about the size of a Bible.
1: Ah. Oh, I've
0: got, like, I've got, I'm on the back end now. That's why it all looks blank. But yeah, I've got, I've got my fair share of stuff in there. And that was, that was part of what took me through, you know, I lost my dad about what? Five and a half years ago, Dad passed. Yeah, and as he came home and and um, went on hospice care, uh, our daughter went to the hospital, and she had a really rare disease that they were not able to cure. And she spent nine months fighting her battle. And through that process, I went ahead and did the smart thing and jumped inside of a bottle of whiskey, and I swam laps around there for a good long while. And I had to fight my way back out of that, you know. And you take those stories, those things, and you know kind of memorialize them here, but at the same time, you know, I, I honestly haven't been back through this to read it, but I know that, I know that a lot of those things are what I'm drawn on to look forward to what I want to be.
1: Yes.
0: You know, right now I'm, I'm part of a dad's group and that's a big part of the conversation we have on a regular basis is that idea that you, you mentioned legacy. What legacy do I want to leave? Do I want to leave the legacy of a drunk? Cause I was on that path. I was walking that road, but it's been,
1: it's been a long while now.
0: Over four years now, I think. I think yeah. I think January yeah. one. I think it was four years since the last drink I had, and we've got a long ways to go. That that number is going to get a lot bigger, you know, because I eventually yeah. found it didn't serve me, and I just had to had to walk away from it. And you know, right. we've all got those places in our heart that that there's some dark moments in our past. But when you can take that and turn that around and not only, not only walk yourself out of it, but to model that for your children and then go and teach other adults that same thing, you know, I think what you're doing is just amazing. And I don't think we'll, we'll be able to quantify the number of people that will be supported by what you've done. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: I think it's important to recognize that because most, most parents in your situation feel hopeless. They feel like they can't get their kids back. And I understand why, but what you've done has been so much more than just get through. And if, if that's all your mother's doing teaching you that my goodness, I mean, I I don't know if you still have your mother with you, but if so, you need to give her a big hug for the rest of us because she made a difference.
1: She
0: did, and that's that's what she I did. see is is our lives, you know, the ability to make that difference for for generations yet to come. I I hope that I hope that hundred years from now, my my great great grandkids can be telling stories about you know why they're where they're at, and occasionally they'll talk about you know great great grandpa Jason maybe, maybe, because if we're not focused on <laughs> what are we changing in life, right? What's this? What's this? All this pain worth if we're not making it better?
1: Right. Why, why are we here? You know, we're, we're not just here just for us. We're, we're not. We're not. We're supposed mm-hmm. to be effective. We're supposed to change. We're supposed to change ourselves. And we're supposed to be forever moving. You know, everything we do is movement. Everything that we do is forward thinking, moving, you know, moving forward thinking. Um, we're supposed to be thinking about how does the next generation, what, what are they going to do? What is the imprint I'm leaving for them? What, what am I, what am I doing that is going to make such a fundamental principle that literally it it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. It just takes you changing your mind, literally changing your mind, changing my mind that I don't want to do this anymore. This doesn't work for me. What can I do to make that, to make life better, to make the situation better? It's literally, it's changing of the mind. It's switching your mind. It's just repositioning and shifting your mindset of, and it, it seems like it's simple, but if you've done the same thing for a very long time, it's not that simple. It's not that simple, but then it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're hundred percent right there. I can't disagree with any of that. So, so you, you mentioned before your three kids, right? Yeah. So where are they today?
1: Wow. So, uh, my youngest, so what we've done is, you know, there's so much, so much that's going on in the world right now. And literally I, I, I found out and rediscovered that, you know, she's a good baker, Right. So I said, you know what, um, right now, sometimes depending on where you live, what region you're living in, what, what state you're living in, you know, from today to tomorrow, It might be open. It might be closed, depending on the pandemic, right? Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. And uh, the concern is going out and not bringing, you know, what we're dealing with inside. You you just, you know, that's a major concern. And so um, she's a good baker. And I said, you know what? Um, Why don't we um, cook? Why don't we just start cooking? And it kind of took on a life of its own where we're doing a small catering business. And so I'm going to be making some things. I'm going to be cooking food too. And she's going to be baking. She makes really, really good things. And I said, while we do this, we're going to add in like, you know, um, when you get a fortune cookie, it has a a little saying on the inside, but I'm going to add in a little prayer, which is Psalms 91, which is a covering to cover people's households. And their families. It's a blessing, it's a covering. I wanna add that in it. And then also too, I want to also impart that there are a lot of people who can't afford to buy, that would be extra. So if you have the ability to pay it forward, I would like for you to pay it forward so that we can feed someone else. So that's something that we're working on right now, but also too, she has um, taken courses in engineering and has built her own computer from scratch. And wow. uh, yeah, that's my, that's the baby. She's the, who's, who's now in her 20s, but uh, she's built a computer from scratch and uh, has just taken a mobile app uh, certification. She's gotten that too under her belt. And the middle one is a property manager and also um, studying real estate she's doing really, really well. Um, and my oldest is, um, got her master's in social work and, uh, she's just become a part of a, a new sorority and she's doing many things like wonderful, wonderful things. And yeah, just, I'm super, super stoked and super blessed
0: wow yeah our our son our oldest son spent a lot of time in the hospital him and my wife split most of the shifts in the hospital while our daughter was there sick and today he has a, uh, well he's probably headed to work here in about an hour where he goes to houses he's a home health nurse now and he takes okay. care of people and he, he really pre- prefers the pediatric cases because he was in the children's hospital with her so much mm-hmm. and i think it sounds like maybe your oldest daughter had a little bit of that same thing where she went hmm this was hard. I should go step in and make the world different. That's, that's amazing. That,
1: yes, that's exactly Danger. what she did. That's exactly what she did. She said, you know, she got the degree based on all of the hardships we've had and wants to make a change. And so any case that comes across her, 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 her desk, she's basically taking it, she takes it on fully where she's invested. You no, know, I'm going to do as much as possible for you because I remember the struggles we had and what was done and what wasn't done for us. Yeah.
0: Well, if she got any of that strength from you. um, Mm -hmm. That might make some difference in this world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely use some difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because not, not every parent, not every parent is wired to, to raise kids. I know. And there are some Mm -hmm. situations where it's just not possible, but man, where it is, you know, right. I can't imagine. Again, like I said, the number of lives that, is, if you just start from your your own mother and start looking down at, and how that has trickled out into the world, the legacy there is is pretty phenomenal. I'm I'm just amazed by that.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you, and to to you both as well. I mean, home health. Oh my goodness, he is coming across everything, especially now.
0: Oh yeah, so,
1: yeah. There's so many, world right now. Yeah, and there's so many people who are affected and everything has shifted where a lot of uh, medical uh, needs that we're seeing medical necessity that we're seeing is what in the home.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the cases he's worked with, you know, obviously HIPAA rules and all that. We don't, we don't get all of that. Right. He, he, you know, he shared enough to know that some of the kids he's worked with, you know, quadriplegic kids who were mm-hmm. born with all these difficulties in life and, mm-hmm. and he has the opportunity to sit with them at their home and connect with them and, just to provide the care and comfort for a young child has is i mean i don't think he really even fully gets it you know maybe he does maybe he does
1: mm-hmm.
0: actually i think he probably does and i'll tell you why i'll tell a quick story when he was in training he, he did his, his his uh medical training in the army he was he was in the on the army as a nurse there
1: and oh. one day
0: while he was doing his training I one of the was it fort sam, i don't remember where it was it might have been fort sam he was somewhere and i know that he was working with one particular patient who was, I think, paralyzed, mostly paralyzed, and um, and he he asked to do. He's like, "Dude, your your toenails are long. You want me to clip them?" It's like, "Oh, I'd love that. I'd had, i had nobody's done that in a long time." And and it was part of the like the report at the end of the shift where him and and the other nurses are there, and one of the in the supervisor who was had something shiny on his collar, right, a colonel or something, I think it was, <laughs> was in the room, and they, they the other nurse was looking like. Dude, you did all that. Where'd you find time to do that? You know, why would you? Why would you waste your your time clipping the guy's toenails? That's ridiculous. Why would you do that? And he just looked at him, and he he told me the story because he's like, you know, it, it really bothered them they asked that question, and he said, everybody deserves a little bit of dignity,
1: right?
0: And that tells me a whole lot about about what he's experienced in life and what he's learned through our own hardships. Wow. And he said the colonel came to him later and just, you know, off to the side and said, you're going to make, you're going to make a good healthcare professional, mm. you know, you're in the right space. But I think oftentimes when we look back at the things that, that really just devastated our life that tore us apart. That's where we had the most strength.
1: Yes, I totally agree. I agree with
0: that. Yes. Did you have anything else to ask Amanda?
1: No, I, I think the story sums it, sums itself up. I mean, it's, awesome
0: yeah well we really appreciate you being willing to come on here and tell your story because i know so many people have a difficult time coming on and telling a story like yours where people have the opportunity to look at you and judge you and call you names and say you're a horrible person and you know your kids got taken away and so now we get to judge you because that's what we like to do as people for some reason we like to judge each other but instead you you come out and tell your story and and provide hope for people who may be going through a similar situation who don't have that hope.
1: And, you know, it's it's crazy is that, um, like I said, this happened many years ago, but I run into other people who are like age mates right now who've had similar stories. You wouldn't believe it. And I was, I was like, wow, your kids got taken too? It just, you know, it's not something that they can share with everyone. It's not something that they can bring forward. There's a lot of shame behind it. Um, they're very successful, highly successful, but they had this period in point, something happened, something went awry, and they lost custody of their kids, and their kids were in uh, with foster uh, parents, and, you know, if you don't know them well enough, you would never know that this has happened to them, but thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, we appreciate you being willing to come in here and be open and vulnerable and honest and tell a story that most people, most people don't have the opportunity to hear because people hide that behind their own shame and insecurities.
1: True, I agree.
0: Okay, Foster Care Nation, thank you for listening to Tammy's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. And don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash foster care nation. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. So cool, cool, cool. yeah,
1: yeah. Thank you for listening. Bang bang bang